Welcome to the Introvertpreneur Podcast. Take a breath because you are in the right place and you can finally stop apologizing for being an introvert. I'm Tara and I've discovered how to thrive as an entrepreneur while being 100% true to myself. Now I want to help you do the same. In these episodes, you're going to find everything you need to build a successful service-based business so you can stop competing with extroverts and grow and market your business with ease. Are you ready? Welcome back to another episode of the Introvertpreneur Podcast. I am so excited to have today's guest with us. Vicki Louise is a time and productivity expert. She calls herself a reformed hustler. I love that. And she used to work 80-hour weeks doing all of the things. Now she works 15 hours while achieving more, earning more, and she helps other people do the same through her Time Hackers coaching program. And she's also the host of the Hack Your Time podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. I love talking about productivity, especially for introverts. I feel like having plans and being more mindful about your time is so essential for growing your business, especially as an introvert. Sometimes we get stuck in our heads a little bit about things. So I would love to hear a little bit more about your story, how you got started and how you fell in love with productivity too. So I was the ultimate hustler, the I'm running a startup, I'm going to do an MBA at the same time while hosting three events a week. Literally, what else can I take on and being in an accelerator program and planning a wedding, I should add, because that is relevant. So I used to really think I want this full life. I want to have this, I would call it like an extraordinary life. And I thought the way to do that was to do all the things all the time. So it wasn't even just hustling in my business. It was also hustling in my social life. Like I would have, I would be people pleasing and saying yes. And then my mind would be somewhere else. And I would always be managing my social life through my phone. Anyway, I started coaching and it was actually after I closed down another business that I went all in on coaching. So I had this like failed business and went all in on my coaching. And within six months, I'd created a six-figure business. And I was like, what? This isn't what I've been told is possible. And I'd actually been putting off coaching for my startup because I thought that was like a proper business. Then six weeks after I doubled it again, and I was like, what's actually happening? Because I've been told my whole life things take time. And here I am discovering that it doesn't take time. What did it actually take? And how can I package this up and tell everyone else so that they can go and create it as well? That was really how Time Hackers was bought with the idea that we're not really ever taught how to optimize our time. We're taught how to use it, how to fill it, how to say yes and make plans and fill our calendars and fill our schedules, but we're never taught to consider what is the least I can do to create the biggest impact. And that's really time hacking. And that was my own little journey. And that's where I started going into this area. I love that. So it was born out of your need for it too, with being a reformed hustler, like you were in that mindset and struggling with your first business. 
Totally. Even when I started my coaching business, what happened was I got hired by the school that I certified with to coach for them. So I was doing 20 hours a week for them while I was growing my business. And there was this breaking point where I was like, March last year, I was like, okay, I'm working six days a week in my coaching business. I don't yet have a really high income in my coaching business. We were back living with my parents after closing a previous business. We were trying to save and get ourselves up on our feet again. And it was really like dropping the comfort of doing more hours. And that was the month that my business went from 5K to 25K. And I don't think it's a coincidence. It's because I stopped hustling and burning myself out and approaching everything that I was doing with my work, like tired. I love that. I've definitely experienced burnout with my initial business too, which I find really funny that it's like, it seems like a common thread. I think with your first business, like you feel like you have to just throw everything into it because that's what you're told that you have to hustle for the first X number of years to actually get it going. And it's just exhausting. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because I do. I think there's no education around how to build a business when it comes to how we use our time. So what we do is we take what I call the school mentality or the corporate mentality. Well, if you work in a huge corporation, how do they track you? How do they pay you by the hours that you work? But when you're an entrepreneur, the hours you work are irrelevant. Like what results are you creating? And what we end up doing is thinking more hours is going to create more success when I think one of the most important roles of entrepreneurship, and I'd love to hear if you agree, is creativity. And creativity blossoms with space, not with a mountain of to-dos. I totally agree with that. I find for myself, I've always called myself a creative, but I find that if I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed, or I've been really in what I call the busy work of the business that is just non-essential, it's hard for me to get that creativity back, which is where I think as a service provider, entrepreneur, a lot of what your growth relates to is your creativity. So I love that you said that, like you need to have the space to let that creativity flow. And I love that you mentioned the busy work because we live in a society now and a world now, even if we just think about the number of social media platforms, but like you can always find something to do. If you want to be busy, oh, like you are going to be busy. But like you said, how many of the things that you are doing, like I'm going to make a bold statement here, people, but I reckon if people dropped 50% of what they were doing, it would not even impact their business negatively at all. In fact, obviously, I think it would, I know they would impact it positively, but even like their biggest fear, like it might slow you down 5% initially, and then you'll accelerate 30, 40% forward. I feel like that's so true. And it's hard though, because I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that busy work. They feel like that's essential or needed to propel them forward. You made me think of something that my husband has said to me a lot. He's a lot older than I am. And he's always said to me years ago before I did mindset work and a lot of productivity work and really figuring out how I want my business to flow. He always used to say to me when I would say, oh, I'm exhausted. This was with the first business when I was working like 80 hours a week, (laughs) seven days a week. He's like, well, you're young. Now is the time that you need to hustle. And that never sat right with me, but I think that's the corporate mindset. Yeah. When you're young, you need to hustle. 
to get to a point where you no longer need to hustle, but that just sounds so exhausting to me. And that's not really how I wanted to run my business. Yes. I also think, and I don't know how much older he is, but it is the inherited mindset because I do think it's true that pre the last 20 years with all the technological changes, like think about the fact that we can even speak and record this podcast and reach people. We have access to so much that wasn't available. So I do actually think that there was a time when hustling was the differentiator, when doing more, when being there for longer hours, when being willing to make the phone call on the Sunday was what differentiated you. But now I'm not waiting for an eight hour flight to come to the US to meet you, to make a video together with a production team that then has to be edited professionally. And I go up like, it's like so instantaneous that we are able to reach and do a lot more with a lot less effort. So what we're doing now is our struggle is now to unlearn what worked 20 years ago and start thinking what works now. That's so true. And what you said earlier about if you want to find busy work and you want to find work to do, it's so easy to do that because we are so connected like on our phones. I feel like a lot of people, they get stuck in hustle mode. And I know I did when I was in that position, like I would always be on my phone or on the computer or making the product. I never really took a solid break. (laughs) Like I would actually have to set a timer on my phone to remind me to eat, which that is not healthy way to live your life. Totally. I mean, I love that you shared that. I remember when we moved to Austin, Texas for our last business. And I remember walking one day with my husband and looking to him and saying, I am on the verge of quitting everything and going to be a hippie. And I can't physically, like it's taking everything from my life to have this business there has to be another way. And really being in that culture of like startup world and long hours and like, it's very bro culture and, and being like, this is how we have to do it. And it's like, what if that isn't how we have to do it? What if that isn't actually what creates the most success? And I do think, so we're both women, a lot of what we've inherited in terms of the work time culture was created without us in mind at all. Everything from a five-day work week to the nine to five. So many things that just aren't considerate of women and cycles and hormones and pregnancy and family, like any of those things, for example. I do think we're at an exciting time where there's like moves and shakes happening in the workplace and women are starting to be like, wait, we're going to make some different decisions. So change is coming. (laughs) I love that you're helping people who maybe were where I was at, helping them avoid getting to that point because burnout is not fun. And I feel like a lot of people, they have to experience it to know how to deal with it. And that's not the case. You can avoid it. You don't have to get to that place. You can change things now. There's no glory in going on purpose or willingly into a situation which is actually harmful for our health. Now, in saying that for anyone listening, like no matter where you are, it's 100% redeemable. Both of us have spoken about working 80-hour work weeks and we're not in that place anymore. But if you are in that place of like, oh, but I can give more, so I should just take our warning. Both of us closed those businesses. So there's, there's the answer. There's your future if you continue. That was another thing too. I think it's true with the mindset and how things are changing. Because at the time that I decided, like, I can't do this business anymore. I actually sold it because it was a product-based business, but 
I was like, I, I just can't. And, and my husband was like, but you're making so much money at what cost? I can't keep it up. But I think his way of thinking, it was that was ingrained in him, just seeing the dollar value. And I'm actually the one feeling the feelings and seeing that I don't care how much the dollar value is, it's not worth it to me. I think it's really powerful that you saw and experienced that. I'm willing to do that because I do think it's very hard to walk away from, even for people. I don't know if some of your listeners are also made that move from corporate or from salaried work into entrepreneurship. It's the same thing. It's like you see the comfortable dollar sign and it's like making those scary leaps. I'd love to talk about, so I don't want to say just introverts, but especially introverts that I've spoken to. I get stuck in perfectionism and it gets in the way of actually getting things done. I'd love to hear your thoughts around perfectionism. So one thing I'll say, and then I'm going to give everyone something actionable to actually implement, because I think that's really important here when it comes to dealing with something like perfectionism. One thing I will say is when you are in that perfectionist mindset, in that perfectionist loop, what you are doing on purpose is sitting yourself in constant imperfection because perfectionism by definition is having you look and try to create perfection, which means your brain is focused on what's off on what's wrong the whole time. So it's a very disencouraging, heavy, slowing down place to be in because your brain isn't thinking, how can I create more value for my customers? How can I improve this process? It's thinking, is what's wrong? Let me look for what's wrong and find it. So I just think it's really important because some people will say to me, my perfectionism is useful because I create perfect work. And I'm like, no, no, no. What you are doing is spending a lot of time looking for problems that aren't actually going to create more value for your clients necessarily. So what I would say to anyone experiencing this is, so my whole thing is start messy, be messy. It's very easy for me to say that for where I am right now. So what I will say to people is start one thing. I want to be like, I'm not going to be a perfectionist about this one thing. It might be, I'm not going to read my email seven times before I send it out. It might be, I'm not going to triple check the filter that I use on this photo, whatever it is, pick one small activity and start to build a track record of not being a perfectionist and showing your brain that it's okay. For example, a client can come to me and say about typos. It's like a really common one. And I just have to check it seven times before it goes out because there can't be any typos. What they then discovered was there actually were some typos and their business revenue actually went up because they were doing more productive things and triple quadruple checking for typos. Now it's not to say like, oh, typos on purpose, typos don't matter. Like, of course we don't want to on purpose have typos, but I promise everyone listening when it comes to something like that, you are making far fewer mistakes and your brain is telling you, your brain's like, we're making so many mistakes when it's like maybe one in every five posts is a typo. Here's a brilliant thing that maybe you've heard about human brains too. When we read something quick, we don't even read the full letters in order. So as long as the first letter and the last letter are in the right order, our brain reads it right anyway. Just have a think about what's one thing, one area where I'm a bit of a perfectionist so that I can teach my brain that it's okay to do something imperfectly. I love how you worded that because how many times have we seen a typo in a post or in a graphic and we don't even care? So why do we think our audience is going to be so upset that there's a typo? It's not the end of the world if one slips through. 
Yes. And this is maybe a bit too far, but I'm just going to share it anyway. In a world of so much online messaging, if someone notices a typo, your post has suddenly become more memorable than everyone else's because it's alerted something in their brain, right? So I'm not saying it's a good thing to do on purpose, but it's definitely not a bad thing. It's definitely not going to cost you revenue and your business. And what it's going to cost you to keep checking seven times is a lot of time, valuable time, creativity, self-trust, and essentially revenue. Yeah. Because if you're checking something seven times, if you're doing that for everything, that's a lot of time that you're using on something that's really not necessary. I literally had one client and she was like, no, I can't not check. This is just my way. I write it and then I check it and then I I check it again. And then before I post it, I check it again. And I was like, wait, what? You're going to have to put something with a mistake out there just so your brain knows that you're not going to die. Even that might also be another thing is put something out there with a typo and just be willing to teach your brain that it's okay. Imperfect is okay. I would love to hear your thoughts around failing. Cause I know a lot of people, they have a fear of failing and maybe that also can tie into the perfectionism part of it. So what are your thoughts around people that have a fear of failure and failing in business in general? Of course you have a fear of failure. We completely evolved to have a fear of failure because we want to remember our brains have been around in their most modern form for about 40,000 years And for most of that 40,000 years, failure meant failing to find adequate shelter, failing to pick the wrong berries and getting poisonous ones, failing in a fight with a predator, like all very much life or death situations. I could probably confidently say that most people fear failure and that's not a problem. That's the first thing for everyone. Fearing failure isn't a problem. But actually, similarly to the perfectionism, it's like, can you start thinking about failure differently? Can you start acknowledging that you've already failed and survived and that when you have failed, it's not been as bad as you thought it was? I don't know about you, but for me, when I failed and closed that startup and moved back to England, and it was like the shame, the embarrassment, all of it. But then what it really made me was invincible because I was like, oh, that's like as bad as it's going to get. I'm totally now willing to fail because I know I'm going to survive it. Be willing to fail to teach your brain. It's we're okay failing. How do we know it's okay failing? What do we want to make it mean when we fail? And like a third of my program is about mastering fear of failure because it's such a big thing. It is what creates success. So one of the things that I'll have my clients do, instead of just celebrating success, I'll have them celebrate fails. And what we're doing is rewiring their brain away from this is a problem into this is a great thing because failing is required to learn. And I've seen people succeed once and then they struggle much more to create it again because they're like, that was a fluke. I don't even know how I created it. When you fail, you are literally hacking away at how to create success and building that blueprint. And that blueprint is repeatable. What would be different if we were all celebrating fails? Like, oh my God, I tried to do this launch and I completely failed. Here's why. Instead of, I failed, I'm going to go eat cookies on the couch and pretend it didn't even happen. And that's the more expensive use of our time is having a fear of failure and letting that fear stop us take the lessons. I always love seeing people on social media that actually share their failures. I love how people are open enough to actually share what they consider a failure Because also what a failure is to one person, it might've been a success to somebody else. If you got 
10 people enrolled in your course on the first day. For some people, they would consider that a failure. For other people, that would be a huge win and success. It's funny too, because even though I sold my business, like moving away from it, I still had a fear of failure with switching gears because I had all this pressure of, oh, I was making this much money and now I'm starting a new business from zero. And it added a layer of pressure and fear of failure, I feel like for me too. I mean, I still have fear of failure now and I run multiple six-figure coaching business. I've just accepted it's always going to be there. I just don't think it's a problem that it's there. I think that's the difference. If we think that there's this utopia where we're going to get to, where we're not going to fear it, because the truth is, if you are looking for growth and you are looking to achieve more, then you are setting yourselves up to fail. We succeed by failing, learning, and applying what we've learned. Everyone listening to this podcast, entrepreneurs, by choice, we are choosing to go against our brains seeking of comfort and the familiar and maybe a steady salary working for someone else. We've already done the crazy part. We've already done the scary thing. I just think even knowing that I've chosen this versus this is happening to me and I can't control it, that's going to change your whole experience of fear. I love how you word everything. I know these things and I've thought about them, but I I love the way you word everything. It really gets me thinking. So I hope people are really paying attention (laughs) to what you're saying because it's so helpful to reframe your mindset and think about things in a different light. So I'd love for you to tell us more about your Time Hackers program. So it started actually as a three-month mastermind, and then I decided to make it a lifetime access program because time and how we use our time and our situations constantly evolve. It could be starting a family. It could be kids moving out. It could be launching a business, launching a second business, closing a business. But really, it was created off the idea that things don't take time. And I call it kind of like anti-time management. Hacking, by definition, is a way of doing something that's not been done before. It's like the standard route to do something, but we're going to hack and go in through an alternative way and figure out a better way to do it. So as time hackers, we focus only on three things, which in my experience, my client's experience has you moving quicker than time in terms of your growth. The first is hacking our brain. Like a few things that I've spoken about here today. How can we rewire our brain so it's on track? How can we think about ourselves we spoke about with the perfectionist thing hack your brain so it's a tool for you because often our brain can feel like it's working against us the second thing is hacking our decisions so how do we make decisions for sustainable success when we have a brain that's wired for short-term thinking and comfort and pleasure over discomfort the third is hacking our fear of failure of course when people join they get access to the portal and all of the trainings and then everything it takes to become a time hacker, as well as how to succeed in the program, how to hack the program is the first module. It's about building community around this because what we do in this room is very different to what we're taught about time in the mainstream mass market. Community is super valuable and learning everything that we've been told about time and being willing to take it on in a different way. And then there's live coaching every week and additional courses and stuff. And it's just a lot of fun. Awesome. Do you find that most of the people in the program are entrepreneurs or is it a wider variety than just business owners? It's like 95% entrepreneurs. Okay. Awesome. I would feel like they would need (laughs) this the most (laughs) 
just because there's so many, like you said, about glamorization of hustling and all of that, that we need to break down. And like you said, both of us, when we started our first business, it's like, this was probably what was missing for us. An actual understanding of how to optimize our time and do the uncomfortable things and make sustainable decisions instead of I'm going to work 80 hours this week. That's exactly what it's for. That's awesome. We will have the link below in the show notes for you guys to check that out. Cause I know for anyone who is feeling overwhelmed or burnout or you're working a huge amount of hours per week. And I found when I was in that space, I really got to the point where I was questioning my work with my first business. I experienced the burnout. I ended up putting the business on hold for almost a year before I actually decided to sell it because I was like, well, maybe I'll get my love back for it, but I never did. Then this business, when I first started with services, I got to the point again, where I was in the same pattern. I was taking on way too many clients, working way too many hours. And I recognized it because I had experienced it before. I just came to a point where I was like, I know where I'm heading and I don't want to head there. So I need to change things right now. (laughs) But I do feel like a program like this would have totally helped me in a much quicker way. And maybe it would have helped me stick with the first business if I didn't get to that point and find a more sustainable way to actually run it. (laughs) Totally. And time is this amazing asset that we have. It's like a resource and I call it an equalizer. Like we wake up every day and we have time and people will say, no, no, because I have kids or I have this. But it's like, we are always choosing how we spend our time. People have kids and never spend time with them. People have a business and ignore it completely. People have a business and do 80 hours, whatever it is. It's this asset that we have that we're never taught to think of like an asset. And I teach that we think of it like an expense. So we're just spending, 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 like you even said with busy work and stuff. Once we know how to use our time, it's like this resource that gets refreshed every single day that we're then able to create what we want from, and not just in our business, but also in our personal lives. You just made me think of something that I've thought about before. When we think about the ROI, return on investment on things, we think of it in terms of dollars, but really you need to think about it in terms of your time and the hours that you're putting in based on that return on your time investment, just not the money investment. Exactly. In fact, I'll send it you so you can add it to the show notes, but I did an event called the Time Investing Sprint. And it was this exact thing where I taught people how to calculate a return on time invested so we can start making decisions and investing time for a return. We invest money. And exactly like you said, I think the mainstream market is still very much speaking about money, which is fine because I just think we're starting to see people prioritize life and balance. And really that's what's coming up in the world, which is brilliant. So I think return on time invested is a good one. Yeah. I kind of did that without intentionally knowing I was doing that when I was looking at social media and found that I was spending probably 10 times the amount of time on Instagram, but I wasn't getting 10 times the results. So I was like, maybe I should focus more on Facebook where I'm only putting in like 10% of the time that I'm putting in on Instagram, but I'm getting half of the results. That's so good. And I think it is that thing where people will be like, oh, you're not using LinkedIn. And what about Twitter and all of these things? And it's like, where are you going? Where is it working? And where 
can you build actual community and relationships and just go there? Like, yes, there are a million platforms, but where are you creating the results that you want? So I love that you did that. I love Instagram, but I do find that it's a lot of busy work and you can get lost in the hours very easily on the platform. So I was like, I'm really going to measure my time based on the results, figure out a percentage based on the time. Cause I was getting more results from Instagram, but based on the amount of time I was spending, that should have been way higher than it was. I remember having a client and she has kids and a partner and they would stack the dishwasher and she would always reload the dishwasher every meal. So that's three meals a day during the pandemic. And we calculated how many years that was taking off her life versus one time being like, hey guys, this is how we want to stack it. And just telling them or even like printing something from the computer and making something like, yes, up front, you're going to spend 30 minutes. It's going to be very annoying and very boring, but then you're going to save yourself nine years or something. It was something ridiculous. (laughs) It's so funny because I do that too with like chores. My husband again calls me drop and go because I tend to just drop things and leave it. And he likes to get things done like right now. And I'm like, why don't I wait until there's enough volume for me to actually do it in one sitting instead of doing it piece by piece or putting this away and then this away. I'd rather do it in a half an hour block and get it all done at once. That's funny. I've never thought of it that way. (laughs) I always just thought, oh, well, maybe I am lazy, but no, I'm being more mindful of my time. And it's even like that word lazy. It's so interesting that that's where we go to because of how we've been taught to think about our value in the universe compared to our output or our productivity. I am like a productivity expert, but in that, a lot of my clients end up doing a lot less, like working less, doing less chores around the house. Seriously, it's like a common thing in Time Hackers that we laugh about. No more cleaning before the cleaners, no more like double, triple laundries on a single day, whatever it might be we're so used to and so indoctrinated to think doing is good and doing is always better. And if not lazy and lazy is bad, but what if that laziness is actually more strategic than just doing things because they're available to be done? Yeah. I'm going to say that next time (laughs) to my husband, if he says anything about something, I'll be like, I'm being more strategic with my time. So just leave it. Oh, this is awesome. I've learned a lot from you. This is such valuable work that you're doing. And I know that I definitely needed this at the starting point of my business. I feel like even the starting point of the second business when I started to fall in the same trap. So if anyone listening is struggling with this, definitely reach out to Vicky and I'd love for you to share where people can best connect with you. So my best place is actually Instagram. <laughs> oh, perfect. It's at Vicky Louise and then just underscore, underscore, underscore. I also recommend my podcast. It's called Hack Your Time. It's like 10, 15 minute episodes once a week that are going to give you something simple, actionable, immediately like implementable that's going to help you move faster without hustle. And my website, VickyLouise.com, which we'll link in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. We will have all of those links in the show notes so you can connect with Vicki and learn more about really getting out of that hustle mindset and reframing how you think about productivity and time management. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. This was so insightful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode may have ended, but there are ways we can stay in touch until next time. 
You can join me at introvertpreneur.com and at theterrorread.com where you can find tons of blog posts and resources that will also help you grow your business. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at introvertcoach, where I share more introvert-friendly and service-based business tips with you. If you love what you're hearing, drop a five-star rating and review telling me what you are loving about the podcast so that I can continue to encourage as many introverted entrepreneurs as possible. Until next time, keep using your introvert superpowers.